0: Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey
1: Phoebe. Hey Jules, happy Monday.
0: Happy Monday, how are you doing?
1: I am good. I have booked my flights back to London for this coming Friday. So I hope everyone who listens to this will be, you know, putting good energy, good vibes out into the world. And by this time, I will be celebrating Valentine's Day with my husband, God willing. <laughs> I really, really hope so. So have you done your COVID test then? So, okay, I am going to do a COVID test just because I think that it's the right thing to do. But as a demonstration of how like inconsistent the rules are, supposedly travel between the UK and Ireland does not require a negative COVID test nor do I need to isolate when I actually get to the UK. This is on gov.uk, by the way. So it's not like me just saying, oh, my auntie's friend told me I can fly to London without a COVID test and I don't even have to isolate when I get to London. I am going to do both of those things anyway, just because I think it's the right thing to do. But it does show you why we are all in the situation that we are in right now.
0: Honestly, the rules are so, so, so inconsistent. So basically Ireland is not on the list of countries where <laughs> you have to self-isolate when you get back.
1: Exactly right.
0: And it was crazy because when we traveled in December, you had to have a negative COVID test if you were traveling to Spain.
1: Oh, okay. But not Senegal.
0: No, you needed one Okay. for Senegal as well. You needed one for Spain. You didn't need one for the UK.
1: Oh my God.
0: And so because we were traveling through Spain, we did our COVID tests, et cetera. But once we arrived, nobody asked us for our COVID test. Really? Spain. Yeah. In Senegal, they were dead ass serious. They were not playing any games with COVID. But then you arrive in Madrid and it was crazy because when we arrived in Madrid, there were like officials there. Mm -hmm. But it was so, so strange. I think it was because the flight was coming from Africa that you had these officials literally like, you know, when you get off the plane before you get to security. Yes. Like you literally just get off the plane and get into the airport and then you have these officials there and they were checking people's passports. But it was nothing to do with COVID.
1: Oh, no way.
0: Yeah. Didn't ask us. Our COVID test results nobody asked us anything. And then we came to the UK, nobody asked us
1: anything. That's so weird, because the same thing happened when my husband flew back beginning of January. Again, like obviously had a negative COVID test and everything like that. But no one asked, he said he just walked straight off the flight, didn't even have to go through part. I mean, you don't typically have to go through passport control anyway, when you fly to the UK from Ireland. You you just walk straight through. But he was like, even with COVID, it was just like, off you go, straight off the plane and out the doors of the airport. like
0: Out the door. Literally, once we arrived in London, it was like in out one
1: second. No
0: one one asked anything. (laughs) I was really shocked
1: by that. It's not a good look. It's not a good look for us. And I just think it's what's weird is when my sister flew back to Belgium last weekend, She was able to fly back because she has a residence card, because she lives in Belgium full time. When she landed, she had to take a COVID test. And then the idea is if you had a negative test, you isolated for seven days, then had to do another test. Then if that was negative, you were free to go about your business. If it's positive, you then have to continue to isolate for another seven to 14 days, whatever. But I kept saying, but why are they testing you after you've landed? Like the idea that they would let you fly, you get into the country, then you have a test. If you are positive, how many other people on the flight are now positive because of you? Crazy. And then I see people in New Zealand and Australia having a really good time. And I'm like, well, I understand why we are not.
0: Yeah. So I just hope that you're able to get your flight back to London because you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um And
1: hopefully the rules don't just magically change before Friday. Totally. Which is all too easily going to happen. That's pretty much all that's changed for me in the past seven days. Although I will say that I also watched the Channel 4 series that everyone's been talking about. It's a Sin. Have you checked it out? No. It's about the AIDS epidemic in...
0: Oh, yeah. I saw the adverts. Is that Channel 4? Is that BBC?
1: No, it's Channel 4. Oh, Okay. But that was phenomenal. And also because I've been at home with my parents for the past, whatever it is, seven weeks now, I've also really weaned myself off binging TV because my parents just don't do that. They are not of the Netflix or prime generation where it's like you just immediately load the next episode. So it's been so good for me to actually get in the habit of watching an episode of something and then waiting a week to watch the next one.
0: (laughs) So is that all on Channel 4 or it's coming out weekly?
1: It's coming out weekly on Channel 4. It is available on 4OD to just like binge in one go. But it's like a real throwback to childhood to be like, hey guys, it's Thursday night. You know what that means?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just don't have the energy for that. I, when I have to watch shows, I mean, if I can watch like a couple of episodes and then take a long break.
1: Mm-hmm. But if I
0: have to watch something on a specific day at a specific time, I'm so out of the habit now. It really? would take some doing to get back into that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't think I can do it.
1: To be fair, it's been necessity here. But the other thing that's been driving that simultaneously is that I have been watching WandaVision on Disney+. Oh, I love Club. WandaVision. Oh my God, Jules, do you? I don't have anyone to tell you about
0: this. Uh, Vision is so epic, but I found the first three episodes amazing. Did and you? then episode four was like a mixture of, obviously, this new show that they're trying to bring into it. And I just wasn't as into it. I really preferred the first three episodes. I was obsessed. And then I watched four and then my husband was like, oh, you're not really impressed
1: <laughs> anymore. Have you seen episode five?
0: No, 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 I haven't. So, One okay. Division is because I watched, I think I watched the first three. One mm-hmm. Division is a show that now I can probably watch yes. on a weekly basis.
1: So, what I will say is, I was kind of watching the first three and being like, okay, like I'm not really sure. I get it. I'm enjoying it, but I'm not really sure what the kind of the overriding story arc is. And then four and five have just. Blown it out of the water for me, and my husband is exactly like you. He's seen one, two, three, and really enjoyed them. But for me, four and five is where it really starts kicking up a notch, and where it's like Marvel Universe giving like a real wink to mm-hmm. their fans. And so every day I've been like, "Hey Charles, have you watched episode four and five yet?" Like, and you was saying to me this morning, "Um, oh, just got a fairly quiet day." I was like, "Maybe you'll watch Wonder Vision episode four and five, and we can just catch up about it later," because it was so episode five was just unbelievable and it's also just such a marker obviously you know that in terms of budget and all of that kind of stuff Disney and Marvel is just a blank check but the creativity of it I feel like they just really do things for their fans sometimes and I really enjoy that so
0: (laughs) okay I need to watch episode five because literally I was so obsessed with WandaVision and then I watched four it was a it was a huge God. day for me and um, didn't even think about, <laughs> I need to watch episode five.
1: <laughs> I was actually waiting for Friday. I was like, God, can't wait to
0: watch the new One Division." I do think it's interesting because with COVID, you know, I think that's what's led to us having this premium type of content just Mm -hmm. released on a streaming service. And so they've also got a Black Panther TV series that's going to be coming out. So I'm a big, big, big fan of Disney. And you know it's crazy that a company that's got so much history and so much legacy could actually pivot and still be so relevant. So I've got a lot of time for Disney and everything that they're doing. Mm -hmm. I just think with content and with media right now, it's such an interesting time. And one thing that I watched on the weekend, there were two things I watched on the weekend, and I don't want to like make this whole episode about what we have watched, but I watched a documentary on Amazon called Capital in the 21st Century.
1: Okay.
0: It's a documentary that's based on a book. And the documentary, I just recommend, I highly recommend everybody go and watch this documentary. The book is really, really long. So if you don't have the energy to read the book, definitely check out this documentary. And essentially (laughs) the summary of the documentary is that We have gone full circle and we're now back in feudal times. Oh, gosh. Where if you don't have an inheritance, it's absolutely over for you. So before, I mean, everybody's obsessed with Bridgerton right now. So and when we were watching Bridgerton, my husband was like, wow, it's so amazing. Like no one works. Yeah. (laughs) Like nobody worked in that time. They had their land. The land was worked by their servants yeah by the peasants and their servants essentially and they were able to just get money off of that land and so right now we're in a similar situation where your wages are nothing you need to have capital and that capital needs to be invested and that's the best way for you Mm -hmm. to stay wealthy and that's the best way for you to transfer wealth and so if you're in a situation where you don't have an inheritance and you don't have large sums of money that can basically be invested. It's over for you. And Mm what we now have is basically an impoverished middle class. Yeah. That's basically where we are. And so the documentary is so great because you've got all these world-leading economists just breaking it down in like a really simple way, but it does the history of capital, essentially. So I would really recommend that.
1: I think that as well, you know, to follow up on what we were talking about last week on the episode, during the week on social media, I was talking to different people on Instagram about investing and and saving and financial literacy. And, you know, you're so right, because it is about it's about distribution of wealth. And it's about who can get a foot up, you know, people I know who have had houses bought for them by their parents, versus the people who have had to work really hard to get on the property ladder and things like this. And I think that sometimes when you end up talking about it, the overwhelming feeling can end up being it's too late for me now because I've not done this yet. So I'm not going to be able to do it now. And I think that what's really interesting about that idea is fundamentally it's incorrect. And I don't know what the phrase is. You know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time is right now. And if you can start working on your financial literacy, then now is the time to do so. But it's so understandable that it feels so insurmountable and so overwhelming to so many people when they see basically how impenetrable the whole thing seems.
0: It is impenetrable to a certain extent. But if you're in a position where you have surplus income, you're incredibly privileged. Mm-hmm. And if you do have surplus income, I would recommend not wasting that. Mm-hmm start taking care of yourself, get your life together, get organized because it's um it's bleak. I'm so overwhelmed thinking about the documentary because then and I think it was it was from a movie. They took a scene from a film, but you'll basically have like really wealthy people in these living in these ecologically optimized environments, oh, right? Think about climate change. And then you're going to have sort of the next neighborhood over is gonna be like a desert, like a food desert, like a scorching weather. So worst, I'm gonna be in the ecologically optimized environment.
1: That's really interesting because I actually bought a friend of mine a trilogy recently. It was just his birthday, and I've mentioned before how much I love Margaret Atwood as an author, and she has a series of books, the Mad Adam trilogy, which I would really suggest reading if you are in any way interested in like sci-fi or dystopian novels starts with Oryx and Crake and it is basically the exact scenario that you are talking about there where eventually the wealthy among us will be able to live in the little pods and we'll be able to continue to live and thrive because we'll have the genetically modified foods so you know agriculture and manufacturing will just continue to exist in a modified sense but if you're outside of the pods you are completely screwed so Let's all aim to be in the pods with Margaret Atwood. Woo, <laughs> guys! Honestly, yeah, it's just crazy. So that wasn't what we were going to talk about today, but there are links to it. It's it's some a lot of it has built into what we are looking to discuss today. One of the things that we we wanted to touch on, and it very rarely happens. Actually, we record on a Monday. It very rarely happens that things happen at the weekend. <laughs> So that we are in a position where we can like talk about them straight away. But over the course of the weekend, an Instagram influencer, an activist by the name of Candice Brathwaite, posted about losing out on a documentary centered around mortality rates in black pregnant women specifically. Basically, Candice says that she has lost out on this television show, that the producers have decided to go for somebody else simultaneously. Rochelle Humes, who is another celebrity and influencer, had announced on her Instagram that she was going to be fronting this documentary about mortality rates in Black women, Black mothers, and the greater risk, basically, during labour for Black women.
0: Essentially, in the UK, Black women are five times more likely to die due to pregnancy-related issues. And you've got similar stats in the US as well. Mm -hmm. And so... I think why the internet sort of kicked off about this is that Candice has been, for the last year at least, she's been drawing a lot of attention to this. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not aware. They're not aware that black women are five times more likely to die, you know, in pregnancy or have other issues around maternal health.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually you were the person who told me that fact. I wasn't aware of that before. And I actually just kind of want to go back briefly because... I feel like when I said about Candice, I was like, oh, Instagram influencer, which I don't think that there's anything wrong with the moniker of being an influencer, but I understand that, you know, people push back against it. And I would also say that Candace is an author and she wrote a book which came out in May of last year called I Am Not Your Baby Mother, which was centered around the experience of being a black mother and not only the microaggressions and the racism that she had faced, but also just more generally this kind of, beige depiction of motherhood that any mum influencers or mummy dialogue that you see taking place on social media is always centred around, you know, this really glossy depiction of, oh, I just love cooking and cleaning for my children. And like, that's the extent of it. Whereas she was hoping to depict something a little bit more more nuanced than that.
0: I don't really know where to start around this, this topic, but there are a couple of issues mm-hmm. that I've seen people highlighting online. So the one thing is people felt like, you know, if you were going to pick a media personality, if the BBC were going to pick a media personality to host a documentary like this, mm-hmm. people felt like, oh, it should be Candice, right? Because she's got the history of talking about the topic. But then you've got Rochelle Humes, who, I mean, I don't really know much about the lady, Mm-hmm. Right. But from my understanding is she's never talked about anything like this. So the conclusion that people came to online was that, you know, this is because Rochelle has got more of a commercial image. Mm-hmm. And by that, she's fairer skinned than Candace. And she's got more of a, should we say commercial image?
1: Yeah, I think. And, and maybe mainstream appeal is the way of saying that because she hasn't spoken about overly political issues ever. Mm-hmm. Ever, you yeah. know, I, I obviously, to a degree, that's probably the same criticism that you can make of a lot of people. But what Rochelle Humes is, or or the appeal that she has, is that she is Saturday evening television. And I believe she presents a TV show with her husband that actually airs on BBC on Saturday evening. But one of the things that you said there, I just wanted to follow up on it, because it seems like a lot of misinformation went out in the initial stages, because I definitely heard BBC being mentioned as well, just as I was following all of this as it happened on social media. Then the TV show that Rochelle is fronting, which again, just to reiterate, is about maternal mortality for black women, is airing on Channel 4. And so what happened was Candice put out a statement, for one of a better word, basically saying, you know, I've been in conversations since March of last year about this show. The last conversation I had about it was on the 1st of December. And basically, I am now hearing that Rochelle is going to be fronting the show instead of me. I'm hearing about it in real time, as you guys have heard about it.
0: I think you made an important point around Rochelle being someone that's not had any political opinions before. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge that people have is that this is a political issue. Mm -hmm. And this is a life or death issue.
1: When Candice wrote, I'm not your baby mother... My understanding is that that was prompted by her own very traumatic experience, having her daughter, where she had hoped for a home birth, instead had to have an emergency caesarean. And during and after that caesarean, her pain wasn't taken seriously at all. And she went into septic shock and she nearly died. And as we've touched on on this podcast before, specifically when we spoke to Erin Darcy, when women go into septic shock after a caesarean, it is incredibly likely that they will die. Your body is rotting from the inside. And she ended up being rushed into hospital for emergency surgery when her stitches burst about a month after her cesarean. And I believe she received an apology from the NHS subsequently for inconsistencies with her treatment. But what you're saying and what the the statistics and what the studies show is that actually that experience is quite likely, as horrific as that sounds, when we're speaking about it on this podcast, that is not something that is completely beyond the realms of imagination for black women. And that's the issue, because I hear something like that. And I think people who I know who have had children, very, very, very few of them have had any kind of a traumatic experience. Whereas I would counter it that you would probably say the opposite, speaking of, you know, black relatives and black friends that you have.
0: I think it's all just sad and it's all just draining. And what it did remind me a bit of, I don't know if people agree, but it did remind me a bit of when they, when they cast Zoe Saldana as Nina Simone.
1: Oh God, yeah.
0: And so it's really difficult to face it. But, you know, I think this all just comes down to Candice Brathwaite not having a commercial image Mm -hmm. or what is perceived as a commercial image. Image obviously she is commercial. She's got a lot of followers. You know, a lot of people support her. You know, as well as being an author, I know that she has a lot of endorsements Mm -hmm. because even near where I live, she's on some Mm billboards. Like near where I live, and so you know, she definitely is commercial, and that's why it's so jarring because she has a platform. Yeah, she has a platform. She has a story. She has lived experience. Mm And she's also been advocating for others. Even if you've got two parallel conversations happening with different production companies, which is kind of what they're trying to make this out as. They're trying to make it as a misunderstanding and that there were two parallel conversations going on. And so Candice actually even suggested, why don't me and Rochelle host this documentary Mm -hmm. together? And that idea was shot down. So that's why a lot of people are saying, you know what, this is all about colorism Mm -hmm. and Candice not being seen as, having the right image
1: I think as well you have a scenario where and I think it must be really harmful and hurtful to see the work that you have put in behind the scenes and in public she's written a book about this topic she's campaigned for it she's launched a platform called make motherhood diverse which tries to share these kind of stories and elevate the lived experience of different mothers from different backgrounds, from different classes. And, you know, we say often that classism is one of the key issues that we seem to be unable to address. And that is a huge barrier towards egalitarian medical treatment as well. And the idea that this is something that isn't really talked about, and as I said before, a topic that I knew very little about until... You brought it to my attention last year. And then Candace was someone who was in my explore page and I dipped in and out of her content. And now I more actively follow her. But the idea that that could be the case and now suddenly in January 2021, seven months after Candace's book has been released, there are suddenly two shows, two separate shows being pitched by two different production teams. About the exact same topic. Mm-hmm. It seems I never want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, although I feel like I end up sounding like a conspiracy theorist a lot. <laughs> but that is such an anomaly, I feel. It happens all the time. And,
0: you know, I saw something on Instagram that I thought was very relevant. And someone did a post saying, Not every opportunity is for you. And people need to learn to say, No, this is not for me, mm-hmm. especially if you have an abundance of opportunity right? And this is in the context of Rochelle. So you're so far removed from the topic as far as what we can see. And in terms of like, you know, the things she's been saying on Twitter, this doesn't sound like a topic that she's particularly passionate about or that she engaged with before she was presented with the chance to make profit off the topic. Mm -hmm. Even someone like me, and I wouldn't say that I've got an abundance of opportunity, but you know, when I've been approached about things that I don't feel I'm best placed for, You know, I'm really happy to say, oh, do you know what? I think this person, I think you should speak to this person. I think they Mm -hmm. could add a lot of value. And I think that's what I would have liked to see in this situation, because anyone who's got any idea of this topic, if they would name someone in the social media space in the UK that discussed it, Candice would be the number one person. Mm -hmm. And so if Rochelle was familiar with the topic at all, then I'm sure that Candice would have been on her radar And I think that's the kind of solidarity that we need to see if we want to have authentic discussions about difficult topics on a national stage. They clearly felt they wanted to have a woman of colour. this. why? There's a reason why they felt they wanted to have a woman of colour, but then they felt that, okay, not that woman of colour. Oh, this is what is going to work for us. Mm -hmm. And so let's say there is some confusion. What's happened on the internet that's really sad is that the weight of trying to clear up any misunderstanding has fallen on Candice to come out and say this and correct this and do this. Rochelle, where are you? Mm -hmm. So it was Candice that basically has to use her platform to advocate for black women because nobody in the UK does. And then now that there's a misunderstanding, they're obviously sending her like cease and desist emails and she's having to use her platform to clean up the mess. But Rochelle, where are you?
1: Yeah, and that's a great point. She's not been
0: gracious about this at all because she doesn't want to get involved in something that's political Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to get into any kind of mess about this topic Mm -hmm. but this topic is painful because imagine if you're opening up about your experience where you almost died to open up about that in the first place is incredibly traumatic and that's Mm -hmm. what Candice did which is a gift right especially because you know, you've got a huge movement online with, you know, the white mum movement. You know, and like you said, one of the things that Candice has done is really advocate to make this movement a bit more diverse and a bit more inclusive. So you don't necessarily have a lot of black British mums with a platform in a way that Candice does. Mm-hmm. And she didn't say, oh, I want to keep my platform perfect. She took the risk of trying to advocate for others and use her platform to have difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, for me, there is just no justification for this because I feel she put her head above the parapet and just got her head chopped off.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, especially when you consider one of the first times that we spoke about Candice on the podcast was in relation to Clemmy Telford, mother of daughter. Thank you. Tell the story, Phoebe. So... <laughs> So mother of daughters and father of daughters are two parental bloggers, activists who posted about, you know, having three daughters or whatever it was. And it came out essentially that Clemmie Telford, who was a hugely successful blogger, she had a huge platform and she and her husband had endorsement deals pouring in. She was setting up fake accounts on Tattle Life, Tattle Life is a forum specifically targeted at talking about influencers, essentially. And so, Clemmy had all of these different profiles set up where she was bad mouthing other parent influencers, essentially, or other parent bloggers, and specifically about Candice. You know, she accused her of weaponizing race. She accused her of being very aggressive. She used huge dog whistle tactics when critiquing Candace specifically. And the alarming thing when all of this came out is that Clemmy herself was actually a midwife on the NHS. So it really demonstrated how damaging those biases can be to unsuspecting women of colour who are just trying to avail of the national healthcare system?
0: Thank you. That is such an excellent point because people will hear a statistic of, oh, wow, black women are four to five times more likely to die in childbirth or during pregnancy than white women. And they will be so shocked. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, oh my God, how is this possible? It is possible because every institution is made up of human beings. And as human beings, we carry our prejudice and our bias with us in everything that we do. And so there is a really toxic and damaging stereotype around the strong black woman. People think black women are so strong, they can take it. And that's why, you know, when a black woman says, oh, I'm in pain, it's like, oh, no, you can take it. There's just no sympathy. There is no empathy. And that's why when Serena Williams had her own challenges around childbirth, you know, she's also someone that's used her platform to bring light to Mm -hmm. this issue and so the sad thing about the Candice Brathwaite Mm -hmm. situation is that she's experiencing microaggressions and trauma and bullying and fat phobia and anti-blackness every day
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I just find it really sad
1: I think as well circling back to what you just said there about people being surprised about that statistic and the ingrained Narrative or the ingrained trope where we talk about black women being so strong. You know, at the height of BLM last summer, there were studies coming out about what these internal biases look like. And there was one that went further again and said that a lot of white people genuinely believe that black people and people of color have thicker skin than white people. And I don't mean that metaphorically, I mean that in a literal sense. So that The idea that what scrapes the knee of a white child wouldn't scrape the knee of a black child.
0: I watched a documentary on Channel 4 about race a few years ago and it was so, so, so heartbreaking. One of the women was a teacher, primary school teacher, and she said that one of her kids, a black girl, scraped her knee in the playground and that she was shocked when it was pink underneath. Oh my God. She was shocked. She went on national TV to say this, so
1: she thinks the shock is so normal that she didn't have a problem with saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She thought the shock TV was
0: so normal, and so <laughs> it's insane. Oh my gosh, and um, it's insane, and so all of that manifests itself in, you know, the statistics that we see today.
1: I I do want to say as well, though, you know, it, I I hope that it's clear the whatever quote unquote side I'm on. I do also appreciate that there may be people listening to this who think, listen, maybe Rochelle Humes considers XYZ part of her private life. It is only in recent years that there has been the, not the not even the removal of the wall, but the, the osmosis between your public and personal personas where people do talk very openly about, politics and race, and even things as basic as, you know, gender identifiers and things like that, that that is more recent. And maybe it is 100% the case that in her personal life, and in her private activism, Rochelle Humes is very focused on these things. It is also possible that for her, no political kind of documentaries or opportunities have been presented. So she's always thought, you know what? I will keep myself beige, actually. Yeah, this I is won't... wrong.
0: This is wrong. This is wrong. I think, not you're wrong, but that is That would yeah. be wrong. Because if you look at the situation with Candice Breithwaite, like Rochelle is a pop star,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay? She's had a platform for years. Mm-hmm. Candice is a regular person who fought to create a platform and use social media to mm-hmm. amplify her voice essentially no one came to her and gave her an opportunity nobody opened a door and said Candice please walk through the door mm-hmm. right so if you're sitting around waiting and then all of a sudden yeah somebody calls you and has this really cool idea to make this documentary about you know maternal health of black women in the uk yeah that's all well and good but i think we need to recognize Somebody like Candice that has put in this level of work. What I would have liked is for Candice and Rochelle to come together and to have released a statement together on this. Yeah. Because when you Google this today, you've got Daily Mail, you've got this, you've got that. And all they're saying is, oh, basically Candice misspoke.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right?
0: So she's built up the topic and now it's costing her her credibility. That's going to impact her and any opportunities that she gets in the future.
1: Totally. I also think that what is very sad about it, if you think about it from an objective perspective, there's no such thing as an objective perspective in this instance. But at this point, if Rochelle turns it down, Candice isn't getting it anyway, and that's what's. And that's not me saying that she should or shouldn't turn it down on Rochelle's part. I'm just saying that people will be annoyed with Candice for speaking up in. A, a very legitimate way, but B, also an inherently classy way. And, you know, I think that she said in her last kind of statement on the whole thing, she said, at the end of the day, I cannot overstate how important it is for this issue to be spoken about until we can save more black women. So Candace has been very clear from the very beginning. My priority is I'm sad that I'm not part of it. I think that the reasons for me not being part of it are nefarious in nature, but I think it's important that this is being done. and mm. that, She really
0: humbled herself.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the, the idea that Rochelle and Candace would have released a joint statement is powerful in its concept because there will be people within these production teams or within these industries or institutions who have candace on a blacklist now because she spoke up full stop so some degree of camaraderie and some degree of support publicly from a fellow black woman in the industry would mm-hmm. go a long way for you know this is something that you talk about frequently but for candace's social capital and yeah. the social capital is key in this instance
0: yeah and that's why this is so wrong mm-hmm. guys we did want to talk about michaela Cole and that whole saga, and Michaela Cole essentially being snubbed by the Golden Globes, but we don't have time. (laughs) Do you have high-level remarks?
1: The high-level remarks are things that I think that we've said throughout the course of this episode. A big part of the issue is that the people who are voting for and nominating within these institutions, these institutions are, the Golden Globes is the same as the NHS. It's built up of people, and those internal biases are there. And yeah. when we talk about black women being five times more likely to die in childbirth and you saying if it was white women, this would have been addressed by now. When Makeda Cole is talking about sexual assault, I think for whatever reason, it's a black woman sexual assault as opposed to just sexual assault. And so it's not for whatever reason. We know what the reason is. It's not getting the, the mass recognition that it. Well, actually, no, that's not true because it did get mass recognition. Viewers loved it. What it's not getting is peer recognition from people who operate within that industry, and that's where the the gap is, basically.
0: Yeah, and I watched "I May Destroy You," and <laughs> um, it was rock and roll. It was so edgy that even I was like, "Mate, this edge is not for me." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I was like whoa, 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 whoa! This is like too much edge." I think the thing is, you know, when you're black and you're British and you're watching the BBC, 99.9% of the time, there won't be any programming that includes you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There's nothing that includes you. There's nothing that resonates with you. And I saw an interview that Michaela Cole did with Reggie Yates. And Reggie Yates was like, wow, thank you so much, because I really got to see the London that I know. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that I don't want to write about those people over there. I really like to write about my experiences, immerse myself in that content um, and in those experiences. And you're like, wow, that's so powerful Mm -hmm. because we just don't have that. And she created something that was epic. She created something that was on trend Mm -hmm. because you had sexual assault, you had LGBTQ plus issues. There were so many things that she explored that are so relevant for our time.
1: She explored racism within the NHS. (laughs) She explored
0: racism within the NHS as well. She brought together all of these topical themes. We know that the show was her own experiences, essentially. So I think that's for me what is such a killer is when you've got people that are, that's already traumatizing to Mm -hmm. like relive that. And I just thought, wow, how could she be snubbed? How could she not even be included in the Golden Globes? And then Twitter was kind of going nuts or the internet was going nuts being like, oh, look, Michaela got, Snub, but then Emily in Paris has been nominated mm-hmm. for a glo- Golden Globe. I didn't watch Emily in Paris, so I can't really see a comment on that. I don't know how groundbreaking it was.
1: I mean, it wasn't. And and the thing is, just I didn't watch I May Destroy You because I found the subject matter like quite triggering. That said, I like Michaela Cole a lot because I think that she is a really fanta- fantastic, excuse me, and fascinating interview. Subject or an interviewee. So I read loads of the coverage around the show and I read loads about her attention to detail and I saw clips of it, but I couldn't sit through the whole thing. Just from a personal perspective, I found that subject matter too heavy. Emily in Paris, like, I, I was going to say Emily in Paris was fine. I don't even know that it was fine. It was a palate cleanser. And the reason mm. I was watching it, I watched it in whatever, I think it came out in like October time, maybe a little bit earlier. And I was just like, I'm not watching anything depressing. I said this to you, I said this on the podcast, that there was a big swath of last year that I was like I will not be engaging with anything that anyone is talking about at the moment from a television perspective. I don't want any heavy, depressing, toxic storylines. So I'm going to watch this completely frivolous, it was candy floss for the brain. That's all that Emily in Paris was. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that also means that it's not really deserving of accolades because there's nothing groundbreaking in it it is just yeah. it's just what it is you know
0: yeah and i don't know who the who the writers are or who the money belongs to that went into emily in paris so if you follow the money i'm i'm sure somebody's well connected there but when you said that i may destroy you received obviously the public loved it
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's basically the industry that's kind of ignoring it it reminded me of girlfriends I don't know if you watch girlfriends it's now on Netflix
1: no and I really didn't like girlfriends but I know I am the audience for girlfriends
0: (laughs) girlfriends so I'm watching it now on Netflix and I'm like wow girlfriends is amazing girlfriends ran for eight seasons are we talking about the same girlfriends
1: no we're not I'm thinking girls
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're thinking of girls. Okay, I'm absolutely not talking about. I was
1: singing like um, God. Girls. I'm not pegged you was enjoying that
0: at all, Jules. Okay, right. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm we talking had, about um, girlfriends with Tracy Ellis Tracy, Ross. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, watching girlfriends eight seasons again, really like interesting themes, really relevant, and it tackled and it was a comedy, but it tackled a lot of issues around like racism, HIV/AIDS at the time. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So enjoyable. And then I thought, okay, let me read up on Girlfriends because I don't know why they're not making a reboot of Girlfriends and there are all these other reboots that are happening. And so um, essentially, Tracy Ellis Ross was saying in an interview that even though the show was very popular and Kelsey Grammer was one of the producers for Girlfriends. Oh, Fraser. Right. Yeah, it was his his show. She was saying that basically it wasn't accepted by Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them, I mean, Tracy Ellis Ross is Diana Ross's daughter.
1: So, and her dad is a really famous producer but I don't and know. And her dad's very
0: famous as well. So she's from a Hollywood family, right? And that's why Tracy Ross is still around, but the other cast members, you know, not really that popular like mm-hmm. anymore, right? And so it's just so sad to see the same thing happening over and over and over again where you've got these women creating amazing content, they've created these artists not paid in line with their peers, not recognised in terms of their peers, their projects not receiving as much funding in terms of their peers. And so when you see people kicking off about Michaela Cole, I think they're just kicking off because it's like, mate, here we go again. Yeah. And what does one have to do to be Black and recognised? What does one have to do?
1: (laughs) And it doesn't seem like it's even... The fact that there has been such backlash, and, and to be clear... Michaela Cole was far from the only person not recognized. Oh, there are fewer yeah. there were you few. know, it was very clear when you started to look at those that hadn't been acknowledged, Lovecraft County. I think Minari was the was another one, a foreign language one that, you know, slipped between the cracks, quote unquote. But when you see that it's being written about immediately, as soon as the announcements come out, and you're seeing it on, you know, so many different publications, so many different formats, blogs, Twitter, Instagram, and they're all going, oh, my gosh, look at these snubs on the Golden Globes. And you think, right, so everyone's annoyed, except for the people who were looking at the list of potential nominees and it's such a tricky one, obviously, when you say, what do they have to do? There is no clear answer, obviously, because mass fan appreciation doesn't seem to be good enough. Even specific recognition from their peers does not seem to be good enough because you you mentioned the conversation, the interview with Reggie Yates. I actually watched that. And when he said, thank you for showing me my London, she said, don't, you're going to make me cry. And so, you know, the adoration and the affection is there. But what is the missing 2%? Who are the missing 2% that carries it into actual actionable reward?
0: Absolutely. And I I will say, just because I know we need to wrap up, is that it's just deeply ironic because nine, 10 months ago, everybody was falling out saying that they were going to be anti-racist, they were committed to the black community, all this stuff around George Floyd, all this media hype, all of these co- corporations acting like they cared. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, fast forward and nothing has changed. Yeah, And that's it.
1: Yeah, I think the point that you made earlier is a good one to finish on, that actually the the next step is holding people's feet to the fire. And actually demanding that accountability and demanding that that action. But will people feel comfortable or empowered enough to do that? And I guess we'll see, you know, what plays out in the coming days between Rochelle and Candice. And we'll see what plays out with Michaela and the Golden Globes and, and all of these areas. But when we talked about Clubhouse a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the power of Black creators and the value that they bring. And there's got to be some recompense for that. But we're we're trying, Jules, but we're not there yet in terms of solutions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're just all trying our best.
0: But um yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. This has been a depressing episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you got to the end, well done. I'm proud of you. I'm grateful <laughs> that you could listen to the whole podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Jules
1: Follow us on Instagram, share the podcast with a friend. The more you do that, when we do depressing episodes like this, we're going to be able to say, here's the Starbucks code. Thanks for sticking with us the whole way through. So if you can just help us out, rate, review, subscribe, like us on Apple Podcasts or whatever, and we'll start to be able to reward you for dredging through our heavy duty chats. Exactly. Thank you so much, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.